Acts chapter 5, let's begin reading at verse 12. Let's read the word of the Lord together. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. They all with one accord in Solomon's portico, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Lord, thank you for your presence as we've worshiped you. Thank you for this time that we are allowed to come together as your people in your house. Thank you for those that are joining us online in worship as well. And now I ask you will open our hearts that we may hear not so much what the preacher is going to say, but that we may hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches to you and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not walking in right relationship with you. And I particularly pray for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith and ask that you will draw them back to you so that not one of them will be lost. We need you today, Lord. We need you in a special way. So we pray for your help. We pray that you will touch your people at the point of their need. Multiply the grace of your help to them. Don't let any hungry soul go away unsatisfied. But reveal yourself to them, I pray. I ask these things and believe for them in the only name that matters. The matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I don't expect to preach very long today. Of course, the truth is I don't ever expect to preach very long. It just sort of always happens that way. Right on the front end of the message today, I'd like to know if there's anybody who would like to be part of a dynamic, powerful, world-impacting church. Would you like to be part of a church in which miracles flow, signs and wonders are performed, and these miracles and signs serve to point people to Jesus, and they are so convincing people can't help but recognize Jesus as the answer to the dilemma of this world? How would you like to be a part of a church like that? How about this? Is there anybody who would like to have spirit power flowing in your own personal life? Would you like to have demon-chasing, burden-lifting, health-restoring, life-giving power flowing to and through your life? Well, in the message today, I want to point you to a truth that will put you on the path to that kind of power, both for this church and for your personal life. 
Chapter 4 of the book of Acts ends by saying the early believers in Jesus had all things in common, including their property. Then it gives an account of a man named Barnabas who owned a piece of land, sold this property and brought the proceeds of the sale and donated it to the church, laying the money at the feet of the apostles. That brings us then to chapter 5. As chapter 5 opens, we find a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, who also sold a piece of property. However, instead of bringing all the money as a donation to the church, they decided to keep part of it for themselves and yet pretend the amount they were giving was the total profit from the sale. So here comes Brother Ananias. He has this large check in hand, and he makes a great public show of making a donation to the cause. However, when he lays it at the feet of Peter, a little warning bell goes off inside this apostle. The spirit of discernment begins to speak to his heart, and suddenly... He knows the little secret. Peter looks at Ananias and says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? This is deception, pure and simple. You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God, and God is going to judge you for it. No sooner does he say this than Ananias falls down dead. Just gives new meaning to the idea of being slain in the spirit, doesn't it? <laughs> Some of the young men wrap up his body, carry him out of the meeting house, and bury him. Not sure why they didn't notify Sister Sapphira about that, but they just took care of it. Short time later, his wife Sapphira comes to the meeting. Sister Sapphira comes waltzing in beaming, smiling at the congregation. Peter calls her over and asks, Sister Sapphira, is this how much profit you receive from the sale of your property? When she confirms the amount, Peter knows the two of them have conspired. Now, I have every reason to believe the death of Brother Ananias was a surprise to Peter. But now, now he knows what God's going to do, and so he says... <laughs> Lady, the very men who just carried your husband to the cemetery are at the door ready to place you in the adjacent plot. And Sapphira falls down dead. The Bible says in verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. I have to say, I'm not surprised. Right on the heels of this dramatic event, is when the verses that form the text for the message today are written. Multitudes of men and women are being added to the church. There are such powerful miracles taking place that they would place sick people on the street on cots and pallets so the shadow of Peter would fall on them as he walked down the street. And when his shadow fell on them, they were healed. So great was the miracle dimension of power being manifested that verse 16 says, also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were, watch this, all being healed. Pay attention to that word, all. They didn't just have a few people with head colds getting better. 
all who were sick and all who were demonized were being healed and delivered. That's an incredible demonstration of power. And when I read the text, it seems to me there is a close connection between the story of Ananias and Sapphira and the miracle demonstration of God's power. What I want to suggest to you from this story is that the pathway to the kind of power that changes lives and transforms hearts and breaks chains of bondage and delivers from demons and heals people who are broken where they are broken, that pathway to power is marked by a condition called holiness. The problem with Ananias and Sapphira wasn't them selling a piece of property. It was their property, they could keep it or they could sell it. It belonged to them and they could do with it as they wished. There was no requirement for people who wanted to belong to the church to divest themselves of property. Nobody said you had to do that. The problem wasn't them giving in to pressure to donate the money, for there was absolutely no pressure applied. People simply did whatever was in their hearts to do with regard to their possessions. There was no requirement for people in the church to donate all their funds to the church. The problem came when this couple decided to pretend to do something they weren't doing so they could look good in the eyes of the congregation. They pretended a generosity so they would receive the same kind of acclaim as Barnabas received. It was a sin rooted in pride and manifested in deception. It was an egregious hypocrisy, and if left unchecked, would fester and become a poison that would destroy the young church before it could ever be fully established and become fruitful. Notice it wasn't Peter who pronounced judgment upon their actions. It was God. Peter wasn't concerned that this, couple had, that this couple had lied to the congregation, but he was very concerned about the fact that their lie was an attempt to deceive God. Now, there are three lessons I want to lift up to you from this story as we seek to be a relevant church in a modern world. Three takeaway lessons to help us get onto the pathway to power. Three lessons I want to impress upon your heart to help you understand the will of God for your life. First lesson, integrity is important. The psalmist David sang in Psalm 5, 6, you destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. He sang again in Psalm 101, verse 7, He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. The wisdom writer wrote in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. You know, we live in a time when we rarely hear anything about the awful God. 
live in a time when we don't want to hear anything about the fear of the Lord. God has become our big buddy. You know, there used to be a time when God was perceived as this ogre in the sky with a big stick ready to bop you on the head or poised with a lightning bolt ready to fry you if you got out of line. That was a terrible picture of God. But now I have to tell you, it concerns me that the pendulum has swung too far in the opposite direction. See, nowadays, God is all sweetness and light. He's a big, cuddly grandfather figure upon whose lap we climb. He's become too familiar. As a result, we've lost a valuable, reverential awe of God. We've lost the fear of the Lord. Somewhere along the line, we need to remember when God says, be holy as I am holy, that isn't a suggestion. It isn't merely a good idea. It's an imperative. When you make excuses for your sin, when you justify your sin, it's a refusal to be honest with God. God requires openness and honesty. Integrity is important. Integrity matters to God. Now, God can handle your questions. He can handle your pain, your doubts, your frustrations. But the one thing God will not tolerate is your attempts to deceive him and to deceive yourself. He takes a very dim view of your posturing to make yourself look good before others. He takes a dim view of you vying for position and pretending to be something you're not. He takes a dim view of you requiring the limelight or the applause of the crowd. I hear all the time, you know, I've been doing this pastor gig for a long time now. And I hear people say all the time they want to be a New Testament church. Really? Really? What if God started pronouncing the same kind of judgment on people in the contemporary church who say one thing and secretly do something else as he pronounced on Ananias and Sapphira? Still want to be part of a New Testament church? I'm trying to help us recapture some of the healthy fear of the Lord that will keep us on the path of holiness because it is this holiness that produces the power we so desperately need if we are going to be a relevant church in a modern world. Integrity matters to God. Integrity is important. Now, if you didn't like that one, you're probably not going to like this one either. Lesson number two, deceit leads to disaster. Does anybody remember the Old Testament story of Achan? Remember that? Achan, you remember, was present at the Battle of Jericho under the leadership of General Joshua. In that battle, the command of the Lord prohibited anyone from keeping any of the plunder of the city for himself. But Achan took some silver, took a bar of gold and a Babylonian garment and hid them in a hole he dug under his tent. Nobody knew about it. But a few days later, when Israel went out to fight against the little backwater town of Ai, they were soundly defeated. The reason they lost the battle and 36 of their men were killed in that fight was because of the actions of Achan. When his sin was discovered, it cost not only his life as punishment, 
but also his entire family and all of his possessions. What you need to realize is you never sin in a vacuum. Your sin never just affects you alone. Deceit in the life of an individual has an effect on everyone around you. When, when people are not truthful with themselves, there is a hindrance so God cannot work with them to help them. Deceit leads to disaster. And it isn't just personal disaster. It's disastrous to all who are connected to you. First of all, I'll tell you, it's disastrous to your family. Don't think for one moment your children can't see through the deception. Those little rascals are a lot smarter than you give them credit for. When they see deceitful behavior modeled, they will come to view it as right and normal. And they will follow the same path, and it will keep them from enjoying God's blessing on their lives and will ultimately lead to their ruin. In the story of Achan, his deception led to the destruction of all his family. I've often wondered if Ananias and Sapphira had any children. And if they did, what happened to them after their parents were killed as a result of their deception? Aren't you glad you rejoiced earlier in the service and got to shout and praise God? And now you understand why I said I wasn't going to preach long, because we can't stand much of this. Not only is the deception disastrous to your family, it's just as disastrous to your church. When deception is present in the body of Christ, it saps the life out of it. It blocks the flow of spiritual vitality. See, sometimes the reason the spiritual power is missing from a church and there are no more victories over the spiritual enemy than there are and the faith is weak and hope is diminished in a congregation is because there are people who are part of the group who look really good on the outside. Everybody thinks they have it all together. No one suspects anything is amiss, but their affections are on the things of this world rather than on the things of God. They are hanging on to things that should have been surrendered to God. They're not honest in their walk with the Lord. And it doesn't take more than just one or two with the sin of unbelief to keep an entire, entire congregation from moving forward. It doesn't take more than just one or two with a critical spirit to keep an entire church in bondage. It doesn't take more than just one or two posturing and pretending and playing the game to keep an entire church from enjoying the blessing of God's provision. I'm trying to impress upon you today, integrity is important. Deceit leads to disaster. This would be a terribly negative message if I had to stop right there. Thankfully, I have a third lesson that we can learn. Integrity is important. Deceit leads to disaster. Third lesson, purity leads to power. What I'm suggesting to you from this text in Acts chapter 5 is that the multitudes of men and women being added to the church and the sick people being healed by the passing of Peter's shadow over them and the people who were brought in from all around Jerusalem being healed and delivered, all of that is a direct result of purity being maintained in the church. If you want the power of God to flow in your life, you told me earlier you do. Well, the place to start is by first cleaning up your act. Bring all the places where you have not been honest with yourself or with God, bring them to the Lord in prayer. Repent. Turn around. 
Move toward him. Receive his forgiveness. Receive a fresh infilling of his spirit. That is the pathway to power. You see, there are two ways for this kind of problem to be dealt with in our lives and in the life of the church. We can be proactive and deal with it ourselves in repentance, or we can try to keep it hidden and let God deal with it in judgment. The story of Ananias and Sapphira shows what it looks like when God deals with it in judgment. The good news, however, that I have for you today is you don't have to have judgment. You can have mercy. God specializes in redemption and restoration. If you'll come to him, he'll forgive, he'll redeem, and he'll restore. Here's the promise of God, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You know, I sincerely want this church to be a church of power. I sincerely want your life to be filled with power. But in order to walk in power, you have to travel the path of holiness. Integrity is important. Deceit leads to disaster, but purity leads to power. Stand with me, please. Now, you got to understand, I would much rather preach messages like I preached last Sunday and the Sunday before where everybody shouts and praises God and gets all excited, but, but I wouldn't be much of a pastor if that's all I ever did. Somehow we have to be called to this place. So I want to issue an invitation to you today. I want to invite you to make Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, your prayer. And I want us to pray this together. I want us, we're going to put it on the screen so we can have it. I want us to read it together. But I don't want you to just read it as a, as a verse or as verses of Scripture. I want you to read it as if this is your prayer that you're praying to the Lord today. Let's do that, shall we? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Could, could we pray that one more time? Just, you know, sometimes we go through it the first time and it just kind of washes up. Could, could we pray it and, and let it sink into us today? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit.